0: All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Good. 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 All right. So, last week I was not here. I was at a wedding for one of my family mem- members, and we had a great time celebrating. Uh, but. We continue in our series today and I'm going to pick off where Alex kind of left off. Uh, and I'm going to, initially I was going to go from 14 to 21 of, of chapter 12, but I'm actually going to backtrack a little bit and go from verse 9 um, because I really believe that ni- verse 9 really sets the tone. Oftentimes you'll see Paul uh, do this and Paul is the, the writer, he, he's the author of Romans and Paul always sandwiches thoughts with this aspect of love. So we looked at uh, first Corinthians where he talks about the spiritual gifts. He sandwiches um, in chapter 13, this whole chapter on love, right? He talks about spiritual gifts in 12, then says, but you need to love people and it's out of love that we do this. And then he talks about chapter 14, which continues on the spiritual gifts. In this sense, he does the same thing. So. Verse 9, it's just a couple of verses, but he sandwiches this idea of love and that the church, we need to move with love. That love is the primary motor, the, the primary thing that, that the church needs to operate on. That love surpasses all things. And so we're going to kind of go through that, and if you are joining us uh, we are going through kind of the book of Romans, in which we get to experience the grace of God and we get to talk about the grace of God, and that it, the whole idea is that we experience the grace of God to extend the grace of god okay this is This is the primary way in which the world gets to see and experience the glory of God and so we're almost at the tail end of Romans, um, and Romans basically 12 to 15 provides this blueprint of Paul's ideal church culture. The first 11 chapters of Paul, which we really breeze through, establishes the DNA that that perpetuates uh, through the life of the community, and he lays his foundation. And which talks about Christ's sacrificial love. He talks about he draws from the resurrection of the spirit and the Formation of the family in which the Jews and the Gentiles can come together. So the first eleven chapters is laying out this the significant moments of Jesus' story and the implications of and now we're gonna be developing that life together. This is this is the hard part. This is not only the hard part, but it's also the hard part. Because now it's us living that out. Romans 8, 9 says that we are in Christ, right? Paul writes about how we are now, as a church, as a community, we're in Christ. That implies something. That implies that we are part of this body of Christ. It means that I am part of the body and you are part of that body. And so collectively and individually, we're all members of one another. This is what we mean when we talk about our community, what it's made of individuals, that are all saved by Jesus, but that we could all be a part of what, what is happening here. But then Paul, in chapter 12, calls us to live what in humility, and that by using our gifts to give as the need arises, and it means the empathy and taking the posture of Christ as we face persecution. To not pay evil with evil And so that's actually what we're going to look at today. So let's pray, and then uh, we're going to get into it. So Father, we come before you as sinners and as broken people, and we ask for your mercy so that we can see your grace. Lord, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you have for our hearts today. And we come together as a church to grow to know you more, to see you more, to walk closely with you, and Lord, may your spirit just come and move us, your spirit come and empower us, may it be what we need to continue to give you glory, and for all this in Jesus' name, amen. So as I pick up from where Alex left off in, in verse 13... Uh, Like I said, we're going to go back a little bit uh, to chapter 9, and uh, we're going to finish off the chapter today. Um, But like I said, we need to go back to these verses because from verse 9 to verse 13, Alex kind of finished it off with, okay... This is what the church is supposed to do. This is where we're this blender, right? Like this, this idea where we're stuck in a blender that our old self and our new self are coming together and we're, we're this new thing and that we serve each other and we serve each other in love. But this next part, we need to also take that love aspect of, of who we are in Christ to endure what's to come. So let's read, we're gonna read the, the passage and then we'll get into it. It says this, if you have your Bibles, turn to it. If not, it's up here. It's pretty small, so take out your Bibles. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affections. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul starts verse 9 and says, let love be genuine. This word genuine in the Greek is the word anapokritus, which means without hypocrisy. It is to be sincere. It's so ironic because the church as we know it today is often described by non believers and people that don't go to church as a very hypocritical place. But yet Paul tells us to love without hypocrisy. To love genuinely. So we must ask the question, what drives the hypocrisy that we see in the church? And as as I was trying to figure it out, I think the answer for most of our hypocrisy is pride. That when we love people it's about showing others how we love people it's an outward thing examples of that would be us going on a missions project and taking pictures with the people that we're serving and then leaving that place never thinking about them again or when we go to the the people in the downtown east side and we serve them and we we're donned out and decked out in our designer brand name clothes, and we're worried more about our clothes getting dirty than how we're serving the people that are in the downtown east side. Or we call out and say that we are so generous in in one way, and on the other hand, we're holding on and waiting for the praise of our generosity, saying, "Look what I have done for the church." That's not love. That's being hypocritical. What drives that is the desire for ourselves to be seen and not for God to be seen. We're loving ourselves and we're waiting for how others perceive us. Look what I gave. Look at my sacrifice. This is something the church needs to change. It says abhor or hate, in NIV says the word hate, what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This juxtaposition of, of words that we face, hate evil, hold on to what is good. We see this throughout the, the rest of the verse and I've kind of highlighted it, if we go to the next slide. In verse 98 it starts, let love be genuine. And it says love one another with brother of affection. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and Do not curse them. Repay no one with evil. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave, leave it to the wrath of God. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And lastly, to overcome evil with good. All of these things require us to actively engage with God's grace. Because all of these things demonstrate God's transformative power in our lives. What Paul is teaching is not Paul's teaching, but is Jesus' teaching. We hear the same message in Luke 6, verse 27 to 31, it says, "'But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your good, do not demand them back as you wish that others would do to you. Do so to them. This uniform message between Jesus' teaching and Paul's reiteration of it is that we are to love people. That in this world, there are hard people to love, especially people that have hurt us, people that are not good for us. These are people that we're talking about as our enemies. This is such a hard thing to preach to receive to live out because we're in so many ways hardwired and taught and naturally in how we want to respond is to protect ourselves to put the walls up to distance ourselves I wrestled with, I really wrestled with this message myself because, not because it was hard to write, not because it was hard to preach. But I wrestled with this because I'm just like, I need this message for myself. That this is a hard pill for me to swallow. Because it's safer for me to feel and to, just to put up the walls and just say, hey, I don't want to be part of my life. See, our enemies don't necessarily look like enemies all the time. Our enemies aren't always people that have come against us. Our enemies aren't always people that hurt us. But they are also people that come against us. They are also people that hurt us intentionally or unintentionally. But what I'm going to say are is that our enemies are also people that we find difficult to love. Why do I ask? add this? Because actually next week as we go in, actually not next week, but the week after as we go into chapter 13, it talks about loving your neighbor. And so those people that we find hard to love, I would say would fit into that category of enemies. But what Paul writes here is he's calling us really to live this life of love, but the call is for peace. It's peace in our relationships. It's to let go of our feelings, our hurts, and our pains. And essentially, Paul is calling us to live in this alternate reality. He's calling us back to the foundations of our faith. And that foundation is the reality of the cross. The reality of God who brought justice, giving life to death. This is what, in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, when, when he talks about our life is a living sacrifice. That that living sacrifice is our spiritual worship and that we are transformed in the renewing of our mind. What Paul is saying that is like, Take what you know as reality, and I'm calling to live something different. I'm calling you to remind yourself of the reality of Jesus Christ. I'm calling you to to remind yourself of the reality of the cross. That Jesus came, that he gave you something that is more. That he loved you so much that he gave you something that is different that yes we live in this place where we know certain things and we feel certain things but Jesus is like I want you to break all of that and I want you to live the way that I have created you to live. It is completely backwards and countercultural to what we know, what we feel, what we what we endure through. It's hard because To love your enemies, to love hard people is hard. I'm wrestling with this because I'm dealing with stuff in my own personal relationships right now. And for me, my instinct is just keep my distance. My instinct is just to say, I need to figure this out for myself first before I could engage. But Jesus says, don't hate, but go and love your enemies. And he takes it even further. He says, bless them. Isn't that crazy? Bless them. Jesus says, bless them. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them, but bless them. I don't want to do that. Who wants to bless their enemy? Hands up. Who wants to bless their enemies here? Nobody. That's the reality of it, is that none of us want to do it, yet Jesus says, I want you to do this. Church, this is a hard, hard message. This is hard because we don't want to do it. But it requires us to renew our minds, right? That's what Paul says renew your minds. Renew the way that you think. Live in this alternate reality that is my reality. And you will begin to see what the kingdom is about. When Paul calls us to this life of peace, it's not this, like, love all, hippie peace kind of thing, right? It's hard peace. It's showing honor to each other. It's to rejoice in hope, patient through trials, contribute to those in need, show hospitality, bless those that persecute you, rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony, do not be haughty or proud, to look down on people, but to be humble people and to not take revenge. This is what a transformed mind looks like. This is what God requires of us. Like I said, this was hard for myself as I was writing this sermon. So, I said to myself as I was writing, before we jump to a place where we defend ourselves about it and and justify our reasons, I want to challenge us today, this week, to take every morning and read chapter 12 of Romans. I want us to focus on ver- reading verses 9 to 21 because I believe that my words are not going to convince you of this, but God's word is. There's nothing that I could say that will ever change the way that you're going to look at these verses, but God's spirit will. And so my challenge for you, church, today is just to read chapter 12 every single day. Why? Because I want the Holy Spirit, to come and give you this peace in your heart. Because that's the only way that this church could continue to move forward. Are you able to extend good to those that hurt you or have offended you? Are you able not only to forgive or reconcile but overcome what is evil with good? I'm not here to say that you need to do this. I'm just here presenting what Jesus says. God says, vengeance is mine and I will repay it. These words are from Leviticus. It says in Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the son of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, as I am the Lord. Jesus goes on and extends this even further and says that you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus says that the sun rises and the rain falls on both the good and the evil so we're all in the same boat. Jesus always comes back to this place and puts us all in the same boat. He says that God is undiscriminating to all, to, and his love is undiscriminating to all people. So who are we to say, as his disciples, who to love and who to hate? We must reflect God's character and exhibit his same undiscriminating love for both friends and for enemies. This is the higher standard that God requires from us. And this standard is impossible. It's absolutely impossible for us to attain by our own efforts. Jesus actually says that we must be perfect. Matthew 5, 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The standard is, from the, is what the law demands us. But Jesus then goes on to say in Matthew 19, 26, he says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. So Jesus knows that this is impossible. But he says, with God, all things are possible. church we come together as a community of believers because we believe in the same father we believe in the same God it's the same God the father that, that has brought us together here today that we, we, we come together as a family because we despite our differences despite the things that separate us and our, our opinions that separate us, that we are brought together by the love of the Father. That every single one of us here in this church is brought together by one reason alone, and that reason is the love of the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what unites the church. That was, that's what brings us together. What God demands and requires of us only He can accomplish. To love our enemies in this way is impossible, but it is possible for those who give their lives to Jesus and is empowered through the Holy Spirit to do what is impossible in our own hearts. Let love be genuine requires us to be a living sacrifice it requires a transformed and renewed mind to know what is acceptable and perfect it requires us to look at the gospel message that is set on the cross here's the thing church Thy church should be a place of healing it's a place of reconciliation It's where the broken find restoration and the lost discover hope. As believers, we need to embrace this approach and become witnesses of God and and agents of grace, agents of reconciliation. There are so many things, so many ideologies, so many theologies, so many, all these different ologies that could literally separate all of us. So many things where we hold on to things that, that we believe so deeply in our hearts as we think it is right. And then we come together as a community, and when we find somebody that we don't agree with, we start quarreling, we start disagreeing, we start bringing up these bitterness and these hurt. We come to this place where we, our disagreements drive our relationship instead of Jesus driving our relationship. We come to these places where we look at others and say, well, we're not them. We come to these places where we look at even other churches. I'm I'm completely at fault for doing this myself. And we say, well, that church is doing something wrong. Or that church has bad theology. Or that church likes to do fill in the blank. And then we start looking at them as our enemies, and we're just saying, like, no, we can't associate with them. We can't talk to them, we can't be with them, we can't, we can't come together with them. But Jesus and Paul reminds us that the sun rises and the rain falls on both good and evil. So therefore, love your enemies. And here's the hardest part. Bless them. Bless them. What does it mean to bless others? It means that we love them in the place that they're at. You may not need to agree with them, but you love them. You love them without hypocrisy. Repay what is evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Like I said, this is, a, this is a hard message. This is a hard thing for the church to live out. It is absolutely impossible for us to do it on our own. there's probably so many questions in your mind. I probably stirred up even more questions for you. Am I so, sh- if you're saying this, does that mean that I have to love my neighbor who always, always crosses over my, my property line? You know, that those, those little things that we have in our life, where those annoying neighbors keep throwing things over into your fence, I'm that neighbor, actually. I throw it into the other side. So <laughs> not on purpose. I live in a house where my v- the vegetation in my house, I don't know how to manage and it grows into their side. And so they get really angry and I have to like go cut it down and it's, it's a thing. But we're called to love them. We're called to, to extend grace. We're called to extend the love of God without hypocrisy, meaning that there's no judgment that comes. With my neighbor, this is a very surface level illustration, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. With my neighbor, okay, you don't like my vegetation, I'll cut it back, I'll cut it down, okay? I don't know what to do with it anyway, so I'm just going to cut it. Probably killed it. Um, there's probably no growth next year, hopefully not. Uh, But it's one of those things that's just like, oh, instead of like, just deal with it. We say, you know, how do I love you? How do I bless you? How do I go beyond what you've asked me to do? How do I extend goodness onto you more than you you expect from me? How do I do that and love you in the place that you are with no expectations on my part? That there's nothing that's gonna come back in return. How do I do that? How do I extend that love to you without expecting you to give me something back? That's how God loves us. That's his grace towards us. That's his mercy towards us. That's his love towards us. That God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son with no expectation of us giving him anything back. That's how we're to love. We're to love in a way that is so beyond what we can do that we need to rely on God's grace for us to love the way that He loves. We need to love in a place that is so beyond our own understanding of what is justice, what is right, what is mercy, what is grace, we're to pour out that love in a place where we feel justified to say that we are right in this. But God says, extend love. If your enemy is what? Hungry, what do you do? Feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Church, this is hard. Because so much of us is just like, no, let them suffer. You know what they did to me? You know how they hurt me? I don't want to have anything to do with them. But Jesus says, no. That's not my church. That's not my disciples. That's not my people. You love them. You go beyond what you know. And you feed them. You give them something to drink. You bless them. I think that's heavy enough for us today, right? So as a church, we exist as a church that has transformed the power of God's grace and love. This authentic love that overcomes evil with good becomes a testament of the transformative power of the gospel. So church, may we be vessels of His grace, Vessels of his love. And may we as a church become a beacon of hope and empowerment that radiates the transformative power of grace through our love for one another and for the world. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. Lord, that in this impossible place of what you've called us to do, Lord, may we look to you more and ask for more of you. May we come and sit at your feet and say, Lord, we need you. Lord, may we come to you and say, Lord, we trust that this is for us. But in so many ways, Lord, we don't know how to get there, so we ask for your grace to be upon us. We ask for you to 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 pour out your love so that we can love others the way that you love. So Lord, we look to you. We ask for you to give us your compassion. We ask for you to extend us your kindness. We ask for your, your patience We ask for your generosity. We ask for your gentleness. We ask for your peace. We ask for your joy. And we lift this area of our our lives into your hands. And Lord, may we continue to grow to be more and more like you so that we could represent you as a church so that the world could see the greatness of your love. So we thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: John preached the impossible sermon today. You know, we, we cannot do the thing that God has asked us to do by ourselves. But here's the thing, our, our God is the God of the impossible. You know, we see Abraham, a hundred-year-old man, have a son, actually he has two of them because he tries to force his own timeline. You know, we see Moses go into the most powerful nation on earth at the time, and he walks out with his people and the wealth of the nation behind him. You know, our, our God is one of impossible, and he, he wants to create situations that are impossible because it's He knows us. It's only in those impossible situations that we ever put ourselves to the side and say, okay, Jesus, you have your way, right? We see times where he tells Israel, send 90% of the army home. You only need 10,000 men to go up there because I want you to know who does this, right? He had to take the Israelites into a desert before they realized who gave them their daily bread and food. If they were in a land of any kind of greenery, You think that manna falls on the ground and they don't think it just comes out of the earth? God has to put us in impossible situations for us to recognize that. And all of this culminates in a moment where Jesus, and Jesus has two names that are impossible. He has Emmanuel and he has Savior. Emmanuel meaning God with us. The impossible happened and God came to earth in order to fulfill that second name, which is Savior. So, yes, he asks a lot of us. He asks us to love on those who hate. You know, I was thinking about it as I was thinking, you know, some there's people that are just so hard to love on. But if you ever want to figure out how broken we are, look at the most perfect person that you know, and you're probably just as frustrated with them as the most hateful person that you know. Why? Because, one, we hate because they are irritating. The other irritates us because they show us what we should be. So we're just so broken. No one can do it. But through Jesus, we can. And it's all about taking on his grace, his mercy, and his love. We have to recognize it in ourselves. We have to accept it for ourselves. You all have to accept that there is no condemnation. God has come and he has saved each and every one of you. He has released you from that sin. Yes, you're probably still going to continue to walk in it. Yes, you're still going to continue to have bad days. But it's already done, and it died on that day at Calvary. All he asks is just keep coming and keep believing. And when you're in those tough moments, call out to him. He wants to be there with us. He wants to walk that out with us. He hasn't left us alone. He, he gave us a helper to walk through this with us. So, Lord, we just come in acknowledgement of how great your name is, the name of Jesus. You were there at the beginning. Lord, we see you in the impossibility of creation. We see see you in all the impossibility through, through the Bible stories that we learned as kids and we know as adults. And we just continue to see the impossible of how you, through your living word, pull out new insight to us thousands of years later. But Lord, the impossible that we ask for today is that you change our hearts. You come and change who we are. Lord, you don't wanna change our personalities. You don't wanna make us all clones, but you do want us all to bring those personalities and walk into your ways. And Lord, it is only in your grace and your mercy that we can extend grace and mercy onto others. Lord, we just ask that you fill us with your supernatural patience. Patience for us as we walk through this, but Lord, fill us with patience so that we can pour it out onto others. Lord, that those little things that frustrate us. Lord, work in those little things. Show us how to work in the little things so that we can work on the big things. Lord, we know that you have relationships that you want to restore. And, Lord, there are some deep hurts there. There are some overcomable hurts there. But they're not overcomable because, Lord, you can shift things. And this is our hope and this is our prayer. Lord, it's not, it's not only heaven we look to, but, Lord, it is, it is, your, it is your presence. We look forward to a, a new life in you. So, Lord, come and have your way in us. Change us each and every day. Lord, bless us as we go forth this week. Lord, show us those small things where we would have maybe exploded, where we maybe would have been frustrated. But, Lord, just show us how it's been let go. Because, Lord, we want to love on a world that so desperately needs your love. And we pray this in your name. Amen.